Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Preseason week one in the books. One down, two to go before we get to week one of the 2021 season. Colts come out on the winning end. We all know that's not what it's about. It's not about wins and losses in August. It's about wins and losses in September. And what do we see now in the preseason that'll hopefully translate to September to help this team win football games? But as far as preseason games go... I thought it was a pretty entertaining game. Down big early, trail 15 to 3, I want to say. Come back, win it on a field goal, 21-18. Both kickers were good. They made everything they were asked to make. I thought both quarterbacks were good, which were two guys we were obviously keying in on watching in this game. And then Strawn, who we also had circled to see what he could do, going from Division Two, not having played a game in two years, to playing on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. That's primarily the focus on this game recap. It's not about the flow of the game. It's not about what we did in the clutch time. Most of those guys will not be on the team, including the kicker, most likely, come week one of the regular season. The first roster cutdowns, I think, are tomorrow, down to 85. I read on Twitter, I think Zach or somebody tweeted that out. So this is really about the guys who we see making the roster, the quarterbacks, and the quote-unquote battle that they have ongoing throughout camp, and just a couple different things we saw, the stuff we were looking out for entering the preseason week one matchup with the Carolina Panthers. And also, side note, the Colts crowd. It was actually one of the better Colt crowds we've seen in the last couple of years showing up for a preseason game. I guess Rick Venturi has really left his mark on this fan base because the only person I know that cares about preseason win-loss record is Rick Venturi, and he was into this game, and that is an understatement saying that he was into this preseason game. So 21-18, the Colts over the Carolina Panthers. Big comeback for the backups, which is good for those guys because if they don't make this roster, hopefully they make a roster or get back to the practice squad, whether it be in Indianapolis or somewhere else. So, Jason, let's start off with the quarterbacks. We'll talk a little bit about both, but primarily Jacob Eason. It was the long-awaited debut for Jacob Eason. We haven't seen him period in a Colt uniform. We drafted him 16 months ago. We know about the size. We know about the arm, but it was our first time really getting to watch him play an NFL game. And when you look at the two quarterbacks in this matchup, he actually played against guys who will be on NFL rosters, most likely mostly backups, but will be on NFL rosters come week one. Ellinger playing a lot of guys who won't make it to the NFL Unfortunately, so you'll look at the day Easton had 15 of 21, 183 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked three times, posted a high quarterback rating of 97.9. I think he had the second highest quarterback QBR, whatever the PFF grade is for quarterbacks and however they get to their number this week in preseason. He was only behind, I want to say, Justin Fields. Or somebody, I think he was behind Justin Fields as the second highest rated quarterback through week one of the preseason. So he looked good. And the most important thing and the most impressive thing, in my opinion, he got better as the day went on. He bounced back from the fumble really well. And he finishes his day with the touchdown drive. I think Jordan Wilkins scampered in for six. So let's start this thing off. Jacob Eason, that was the headliner going in. And I thought he met and maybe even exceeded expectations. 
No question. I mean, listen, I mean, he hadn't played football since 2019 as far as in a live game. And I thought he exceeded my expectations. I mean, he came out. I don't really want to talk too much about the offensive line, but it wasn't great. <laughs> uh, and I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, he, he, he still got an issue with happy feet, but that's a young quarterback issue. And I, I think he will get better at that. But as far as just, you know, scanning the field, making throws on time, he, he was good and and really exceeded my expectations. I mean, obviously going in, you know, he's a big guy. He's got a live arm, and that was exactly as advertised. I mean, his, his arm is electric, and, and I thought he really did a good job going through his progressions for the limited amount of time that he had. A lot of those snaps with the offensive line, really, especially the tackles, kind of struggling to keep their guy in front of him. Uh, he, he was outstanding, man, and, and the more that I see this guy play – I think I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about our situation going forward. I know there's a lot of talk about picking up a veteran and, and all that. I'm, I don't, I think we can really, I think we can win with this guy. Um, he's got everything you need to be a good quarterback. He's smart, got a live arm. Uh, he's a little more athletic than I think people give him credit for. He's got to protect the ball a little bit better. He's obviously got to, you know, work on, on kind of staying calm within the storm when he's got pressure on him. But as far as just pure quarterback play, getting through his progressions, uh, making throws on time, giving his guys a chance to make 50-50 catches, and just doing what a quarterback is supposed to do and lead the team, I thought he was good. Uh, I thought, um, you know, he made good decisions with the ball and really moved the ball. I mean, he did a good job moving the moving the team, moving the ball. And uh, for a first time out, man, I, I think you, you really have to be happy with what he showed. And I'm excited to see more of them. Obviously, we got two more games after this, and who knows, maybe game one or whatever. But it, it showed me that he's capable, and there, there's absolutely no need for Chris Ballard to go out and you know waste any draft capital when he's got one, maybe two guys in house that can do the job. Jacob Eason definitely impressed me, and I'm excited to see him again this week against the Vikings. Yeah, and something that I believe was lost in translation with Jacob Eason, the way people are talking, is that he didn't play a game last year. So not only are you making, as all rookies, are making a jump from college to the pros, as far as timing and some of the things that he might have had issues with yesterday, whether it be timing or feeling the pressure or reading, any of that, all those in-game things are things that you got to, like, a guy misses, sometimes a guy misses a week or two during the season, or even, Jason, if you think back to even when the Colts used to take off week 16 and 17 going into the playoffs and then would have a bye, and they would come out rusty, like, rust is a real thing, right? Guys would come out rusty after taking two or three weeks off going into a playoff game after playing a full regular season. This guy took probably... 80, 90 weeks off in between football games. It was a very long time for him. And yes, you're playing in practice, but you don't have that live game. So not only are you going from college to the pros without having that live game action where the game gets faster and all that, but he also skipped a full year. So the fact that he didn't really have that much rust in this game and he got better as the half went on and then doesn't even play, of course, in the second half when Ellinger takes over, I would have liked to have seen him play like a full game. Obviously, this is preseason. You're never going to see that. And he still was going up against backups in that first team out there yesterday. But I would have liked to have seen that. And hopefully next week in week two of the preseason, we get 
first team reps. But I'll also say this, he doesn't see a first team defense. He saw more than a first team pass rush if you think about it because their backup defensive line versus our backup offensive line was definitely more pass rush than you'll see with our starting line versus another team's starting line or the Panthers' starting line. Like You'll get more time behind our starters against starting caliber players than our backups versus backup caliber players. And I'm sure they had a couple of starters mixed in when we actually had five backups on our offensive line. And the guys in the middle were okay, but those guys on the edge, obviously, the tackle spots, definitely a position of concern right now, as we've talked about dating back to last year, the tackle spots, we need better depth at those spots. But yeah, I thought he was good. And I thought the two knocks on him, not even the fumble, because honestly, Jason, we'll get to the fumble in a second. I really thought the biggest thing was just, and I thought it was the only smart thing Rick Venturi said all day long. Sometimes he goes into that, a role this Chapman where you got to take something off it to throw a strike because you're throwing so insanely hard you have no control and sometimes you have to put the ball over the plate so I thought there was a couple times twice to Strawn I think once maybe to Patman where he just threw a BB and when you throw that hard and you don't need to throw that hard the ball might be off the mark so I thought that happened a couple of times but other than that on the deep balls he had really nice touch and then like the one deep ball to Paris Campbell was fantastic I thought that was his highlight of the day and the other highlight I thought was just the overall theme of him being able to face adversity. He fumbles, he comes back, and he ends his final drive. He ends with a touchdown. So I thought that was fantastic. And then the fumble, everybody thinks the biggest issue was the fumble. He was under duress all day because the tackles stunk. So he was constantly under pressure, which I think is good for him to learn. But the other thing with that is he stepped up in the pocket. Yes, you have to get rid of it quicker and you have to feel that coming, but it's not that he didn't feel it coming. You just have to be quicker with it because he stepped up. So he didn't go backwards. He didn't stand still. He did move up. So he climbed the ladder and you hope he could you know, learn the next step. But as far as the overall thing, he didn't run backwards. He didn't look completely lost. He never threw any passes yesterday where I'm like, what the hell? Like he didn't have any boneheaded decisions. So all in all, I was really satisfied with his day. Even the fumble, I actually liked that he felt the pressure and he climbed the pocket. He didn't go back into his sack, and there were multiple chances where that could have happened on other plays throughout the course of the day because they were in the backfield pretty much every time he dropped back, and I thought he also got the ball off a lot quicker than I thought. There was a lot more rivers in some of those, you know, getting the ball off quick than Jacoby because a big fear coming out of Washington was that he was going to hold the ball way too long as he did in college and as Jacoby did in Indianapolis. But as far as the first half of the first preseason game, if, you over, if you're going to overreact to it because that's all we have to go based off of, I actually thought he got the ball off quicker than I thought he would. Not every down, but on a couple of those quick strikes. So all in all, very satisfied with the day he had. Yeah, I mean, and, and one other thing I'd mention with, with him that that I want to make sure I say is he is definitely 100% improved from what I saw in his year last year at Washington. Um, you know, you mentioned the fastball. He had a tendency to do that in college, just throw everything 9,000 miles an hour. And in this game, he had some really nice touch passes. He wasn't perfect by any stretch. He, threw, he still, you know, has to, to learn that, you know, you can you can put touch on some, on, on some balls and, and you're better off. 
Uh, it reminds me of John Elway in a lot of ways. His first year he came to the league and everything he threw was 9,000 miles an hour. But as his career went on, he learned, okay, there's certain nuanced plays where you have to put touch on the ball. And I think Easton will learn that. But one the, the biggest thing that I was impressed with and my biggest concern coming into the first game is exactly what you said. I, I, I've seen a lot of similarities between him and Jacoby, size, arm, that kind of stuff. But the biggest difference I saw in, in between the two is he got rid of the ball. Like, I was watching Jacoby, and I don't want to go backwards, but I was watching him against Miami – or not – he plays for Miami. I was watching him against the Bears, and he still holds the ball forever. Like, he, he needs that – he, it's like he needs a five five yard window to make a throw. And Eason, he was just getting the ball out on time. He was outstanding. I mean, uh, that was the biggest fear I really had coming into this was he was going to be afraid to pull the trigger. But that wasn't the case. And I think that's a great sign for Colt fans, a great sign for Jacob Eason. Frank Reich has obviously coached the hell out of this kid. Mm-hmm. He's gotten a lot better since college. And I think, you know, we might have found something. I mean, with, with either one of these guys, because we'll talk about Ellinger in a minute. But there's a lot of things about him that I like as well as far as leadership and just, you know, putting bad plays behind him that I really, really thought was impressive. But as far as Jacob Easton goes, man, I mean, you can't teach that arm. You can't teach that size. And he was uh, he, he was getting the ball off and, and showing touch and doing a lot of things he didn't do in college in this game. And it's, it really it makes me excited to watch the next game, which is crazy because I'm usually bored out of my mind watching preseason. But when you talk about Jacob Eason, you talk about, you know, the first time being on the field since 2019 in a live game. I don't think you could ask for anything more than what he showed. It's true. And also not only credit to Reich, of course, we always give credit to Reich when it comes to quarterback development. We say it all the time. I think you got to give Eason a lot of credit for being coachable because not Every guy, especially the big arm, rocket arm guys where they've always just relied on being naturally what they are. Five star coming out of high school, you know, runs away from competition or loses a job in Georgia after the injury, goes out to Washington. You know, those guys, not they're not always the most coachable guys because they're able to resort to just the natural God given ability. Well, I don't need to be coachable. And. He was humbled. He came to Indianapolis. He sat behind two guys. He never complained. He showed up every day. And obviously, he took what he was learning and he absorbed it and he applied it to his game, which is awesome. So, yeah, there's a lot to like about Jacob Eason, a lot to like in what we saw. And I tweeted this out, Jason. If I went into a coma 17 months ago and I came out of it on Sunday to watch this game, And I just looked at him physically. I looked at the arm. I saw the arm strength and I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know his name. I didn't know where he went to school. And you texted me, Luke, number nine on the Colts is their 2021 first round pick. He's a rookie. This is his first ever game in the NFL. What do you think? I would 100% believe that this guy was a first rounder because Physically, he has all those attributes, and I think if he went back to school last year, there's a pretty good chance. Like, if you think about Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow was slated to be a sixth or seventh round pick. He goes back to school, all of a sudden, he's the number one overall pick last year. I think if Easton were to go back to Washington and tear it up in the Pac 12, was a normal non COVID year, like if they had a normal year. I think there's a chance he would have climbed up into the first round because he has all the unteachable things. He has the size, he has the arm strength, and seeing him put together some of the other stuff now after being with Frank Reich for the last 16 months and sitting behind a Hall of Famer and Phillip Rivers, I think that would be a very believable thing if you just woke up out of a coma and you said, this 
talent, and there's a lot of first-round picks that are busts, but this talent was a first-round pick by the Colts. I think I would have believed it. Well, there's no question. He's got he's got elite uh, arm talent. There is absolutely no question. He might, I mean, he can make Ethro. He's big. He he's more like the thing. The thing I think people don't recognize about Easton for as big as he is, he's he's not a bad athlete, and so he can move a little bit. You know, definitely a lot more mobile than what we had last year, and and so yeah, I mean, he's got all the all the things that you look for in in terms of raw material to work with as a as a quarterback he's got all of it he's smart he's got a, an electric arm he can move around he can throw on the run he can you know he can now obviously throw with a little bit of touch he can he, he can fit the ball in tight windows um and he's not afraid like the biggest thing for a quarterback is you have to have the balls excuse my language but the or the courage to make tough throws and and jacoby never had that he would rather just you know run for three yards i i really think easton's that type of guy that he's gonna he he's if he's gonna lose he's gonna lose with you know with his arm he's mm-hmm. gonna he's gonna make he's gonna try to make that throw now sometimes that's bad but i think to be to reach your your potential as a quarterback you have to be courageous enough to make some of those throws and he made them yeah uh he made them yesterday yep. um there were some really tight window throws that he made that Frankly, Ellinger can't, Ellinger can't make, and maybe Philip Rivers can't make, because his arm strength is so good, and and so that's it's exciting, man. It's it's exciting to have a young guy that's going out there and and putting on display his talents, and and I I mean, listen, obviously he's not going to start for this team barring an injury this year, but I, I mean, I'm excited to see him going forward and see see how much improvement he can make over over these three weeks because there is no replacement for game experience whether that's in a preseason game one or preseason game three it doesn't matter it's game experience against another team and it's all very important to his development so to just to wrap that all up i'm I'm excited about the game he had and i can't wait to see him next week in minnesota i think it's going to be a fun another fun outing for him and and i can't wait to see what he does in that game yep me too and the other quarterback sam ellinger i thought again one of the things that impressed me the most about him, similar to Eason, Eason had the fumble, which isn't entirely his fault, but he has the fumble, bounces back from it, finishes his day with a touchdown drive. Sam Ellinger throws a really bad interception early, misreads it, throws up a pass he shouldn't throw up. Every other time for the rest of the game, when it's not there, he tucks it and runs. He makes things happen with his feet. He gets the defense to bite. He got rid of the ball quick. He made much better decisions. He ends his game with a game-winning field goal drive. So I thought both young quarterbacks, first game, nerves, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they both do something very similar in my eyes, which is bounce back from a turnover and bounce back finishing their day with impressive drives, one by Eason, getting in the end zone right before the half, and then one by Ellinger as time winds down and we execute everything perfectly, game-winning field goal. So that's what really impressed me about both these guys. Ellinger's stat line, 10 for 15, 155 yards, no touchdowns, one pick, which I talked about, wasn't sacked. I thought the line was a little bit better for him than it was for Easton. I also thought he had better presence feeling the rush coming. And because he's more mobile, he was able to get away from things and make things happen with his legs. Eight carries for 30 yards. You have to take it with a little bit more of a grain of salt than Eason's day, in my opinion, because he's going up against the third and fourth string. He's going up against guys 
that will most likely not be on the roster as while Eason was going up against backups, they were still NFL caliber backups who will be on week one rosters, whether it's in Carolina or somewhere else. So I thought his day was impressive, but I saw takes on Twitter where I was thinking, okay, you're going to have to take a step back because some of these things he's doing, he will not be able to do in a game as to, to compare him to Eason. There was things Eason was doing where I was thinking, you know what, this might be even easier in the game because of the arm strength. If you're throwing that to T.Y. or if you're throwing, you know what I mean? Like if you're throwing that to with the starting offense and you have a healthy offensive line in front of you, I think he'd be even better. So it's not a knock on Sam. You play who you play. And I thought he played very well against who he played against. But I would like to see him go up against first and second team guys over the next two weeks to get a better read on him. Although we'll see what happens. If Wentz comes back, one of these guys will probably be cut in these two weeks. And I would assume it's going to be him and you would see Eason back up Carson Wentz in week one. But as far as Sam's day went, I thought he had a very solid debut for a, what was he, a sixth-round pick. Yeah, and you're going to get to see it this week, Luke, because he is going to start against Minnesota. He's going to get the first team reps this week. At least that's what was said earlier. I definitely remember hearing Allinger is going to start against Minnesota. So we're going to get to see him against first-team or second-team players, and that's going to be the real test. But as far as this game goes, I agree with you. I think – um you know, for a young quarterback and, and really a young player in general, um, when you have a bad play, uh, it can really spiral, whether it's a corner getting beat for a touchdown or a, a running back fumbling or a quarterback turning the ball over uh, via interception, bad throw like Ellinger did. The big thing is to bounce back. That's that's mental toughness. And and Ellinger has it. There's no question this kid is, is as tough as they come. He's been through a ton of adversity. He went through adversity in his first game, and he bounced back. And that's all you can ask. I mean, regardless of who he's playing against, you still have to go out there, make plays, make throws. I thought after his interception, he really stepped up. There's something about him uh, when he gets in the huddle, and I don't know what it is, but he has it. And you, 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 you I kind of felt like when he went in to the game after that interception, he was going to find a way to get this team in the end zone. And he did. And they went out there and he, he brought him back, ran a hell of a two minute drill at the end of the game to get the game winning field goal. I, I like him too, man. I, I mean, he's a different guy. Uh, obviously Eason is, is got the, the more NFL type body and arm. No question about that. Uh, Ellinger's arm is, is below average. But he's extremely smart. He, I mean, I thought his his comprehension of the offense and going through his reads and understanding what you know where to take what and what to do in certain situations for a first game was outstanding. Um, he, you know, the, he didn't allow the pressure to bother him late in the game. He just took the ball and ran it. I thought he really uh, did an outstanding job carrying the ball, getting out of bounds, making smart plays, getting down, sliding. That's one thing. You know, we always worried about luck. He would, he would, you know, he, he would not slide a lot of the times. And when Frank came in, he made him slide. And luck was really never good at sliding. Ellinger was good at sliding. He got down. So, and I'm not sure they're going to cut him, Luke. I would not be surprised if they kept him on the roster. I know they like him a lot. Uh, maybe they, maybe they put him on the practice squad. But I think that he's going to show enough that he, they're going to want to keep him in the organization because the guy just wins. He, he does an outstanding job of, of really picking up his teammates. And that's one cool thing I like about this Ellinger Eason thing is you, you don't see any, you know, any type of negative 
body language or vibes between the two. You can tell they're rooting for each other. They know it's a competition and all that, but they, they want the best for each other. I, I was It was cool to see them kind of, you know, show love to each other after some big plays. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool thing about about team sports. And, and even at the NFL level, I thought that was pretty awesome. But as far as Ellinger goes, like you said, man, I mean, you got to see it against better players. But, you know, with that said, you still got to go out there and make plays against whoever you're playing against. And I thought he did that. So, again, it just it just gives you more reason as a fan to want to watch the next two preseason games to see what these guys have in store. But as far as, you know, first game, I thought really both of them were, were more than, than that I ever expected, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, and you're right because we did carry three quarterbacks last year. So who knows? Maybe we carry three quarterbacks again this year with COVID still, you know, and all these rules and restrictions still. And if you have it, you can't play for what a week or two. It's not the worst idea in the world to keep three quarterbacks and keep at least one of them in like isolation. Keep one in a bubble so you don't have a Denver Bronco situation from a year ago where all their quarterbacks go down. And I totally agree. I think it's awesome that they're rooting for each other, even in the midst of a competition. That also, I think, hurts the narrative that Jacob Eason is a diva or Jacob Eason's not a team guy or anything said about him coming out of Washington because usually guys like that, hell, Aaron Rodgers, who's been around the block for how long now and has won multiple MVPs in a Super Bowl, he still can't even you know help out a young quarterback. These two guys are in year one and two, and they look like they're helping each other out and like each other while they're competing for a job. So, yeah, I think that's great. And I always thought the whole, like, if you don't, if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks thing was stupid. It looks like we have two backup quarterbacks. We obviously have our starter hopefully coming back sooner rather than later in Eason. I mean, Hopefully we have our starter coming back sooner rather than later in Wentz. And this is a pretty nice quarterback room, top to bottom, three guys, competition, 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 can never have enough competition. We have it right now at the kicker spot. We have it at multiple spots. I just wish we had a little bit more of it at the tackle spot because that's really the one glaring weakness right now on the offense. And it's scary because that's one starter we know will not be back for week one is Eric Fisher. Another guy coming off a torn Achilles, though, Marla Mack, who is back in like record time from an Achilles for a position that needs to cut the way the running back position cuts. It was cool to see him out there. Didn't do too much in the game yesterday. Had a couple carries, though. Had the one nice nine-yard run, which was just great to see him out there. Can't really talk too much about the game he had because he didn't play that much, didn't do that much in the game. But just to see him out on the field, to see him get touches and be back in the blue and white, I thought was awesome because after he tore that Achilles last year, one, you don't know if he's going to be a cold again, but two, you don't know if he's going to play football again because it's such a terrible injury, especially at that position. And then a couple guys I really want to – and another running back, just a quick note, Jordan Wilkins. The guy continues to be good every time we see him, but it's just such a loaded running back room. It's hard for him to get on the field – during the season, but I thought he had a good day, scored a touchdown, so I thought he looked good. But a couple guys I really want to highlight, Desmond Patman and Michael Strawn. Strawn was a guy we really wanted to see. Patman, a guy who hasn't had the greatest camp, but in his first action yesterday, kind of like Eason, drafted him 16 months ago, doesn't play last year, healthy scratch every week until the end of the year. I think he did dress for a game or two, played a little bit of special teams. I thought Patman looked good yesterday. Five catches, 49 yards. A lot of 
short stuff, dink and dunk kind of stuff. And then Strawn, three catches for 57 yards. Uh, he was making big plays downfield, had a couple of third downs, was able to create separation, went upstairs and came down with the ball that he had the high point, which was a good throw by Easton. It was a nice risk by Easton, throwing it up, having the confidence in the Division II product in Michael Strawn to be able to go up and get that ball. And then he had two plays where I guess you could call them drops because he was targeted five times, but both passes off the mark, one out in front, one behind him. Both, I thought, were on Easton where he was open and Easton just missed him because he was throwing the ball 200 miles an hour. If he took something off it and was able to hit Strawn in the hands or hit him between the numbers, I thought he probably would have been 5 for 5 with maybe 75 yards in this game. So I thought he was really good, and we saw some of those things we've seen and heard about in practice translate now to the field in the preseason. He's a guy I think the Colts will have a lot of trouble cutting because... He has unteachable size. He has unteachable speed at that size. He has good hands. Yes, he has things to work on, but no real major glaring flaws, which you normally see out of Division II or Division III, even FCS football players making that leap to the pros where they're not seeing Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State every week in the regular season. You're going up against lesser competition. His last year of college, he caught 19 touchdown passes. You don't expect him to jump into the NFL and do that. But the things you do expect are him to have big knocks, big weaknesses. He hasn't up until this point in camp, and it didn't look like he had it in his first preseason game. Not at all. He looked amazing, I thought. And and just, just to give kudos to the back end of our receiver room, I thought Tyler Vaughns out of USC had a really solid game. Tariq Black out of Texas, uh, he definitely had – you could tell he had a link with uh, Ellinger because they played together. I thought – I really – you know, I was really imp- impressed with the back end of the receiver court. Um, and it's really a hell of a competition when you think about all those guys plus the Michael Harris plus Desmond Patman. And you mentioned Mike Strong. I mean – Chris Ballard said, and, and, you know, I think in his before training camp started in his presser that you'd be surprised and, and pleasantly surprised by by the wide receiver core that we have. And he's right. I mean, those guys really look good. I really like Vaughn's out of USC. I think if we can stash him on the uh, practice squad, he could be a player, um, you know, and then as far as strong goes, Luke, you know, we, we love him. I love him. He is a monster. You cannot press him at the line of scrimmage. He's so big and physical. You have to basically give him it because if you press him, he's, I mean, he's just so big. He'll throw you on the, I mean, he'll get off that press and he'll run, a, you know, an in route. And, and that's, I mean, he could catch that and house it. So you have to really, really know what you're doing when you def- try to defend him. Now, obviously he's a young, raw guy. His, his route running needs to be improved. His timing needs to be improved. Those things will come. But, again, we're talking about raw materials. When you walk into a training camp, this guy has all of it. He's huge, 6'5". I mean, he's absolutely a monster and could be a monster for us this year in the red zone. I mean, he's just so big. And he can go up and get the ball and high point it. I think that was the most impressive thing about him that I saw uh, with his with his film you know, from college, even though it was against – lesser players he's really a talented kid and I thought he showed what he can do and I think you know just looking ahead to the regular season for a second if you think about a red zone package that includes him and and and, uh, Mo Alley Cox who's six foot six and can jump out the gym 
and Michael Pittman. I mean that, and then and then you throw John. I mean Jonathan Taylor in there, or Naheem Hines out of the backfield. Whatever you want to do, I mean that is that is scary to think about for a defense because there is no way you have enough, you know, in their secondary enough physical players to defend that. So just watching that game and then trying, to, you know, kind of forecasting. Okay, if this kid makes the team, what could what could what could he bring? And, and I just think the sky's the limit in terms of what he'll be able to do in one-on-one coverage because you know there's we haven't had a lot of guys that I can remember in, maybe in the past two decades where you can just throw the ball up and we've got at least a 50% chance maybe higher of catching it this kid man I, I just there's something about him and and I I said it when we drafted him I mean six five four three I mean he's huge as far as you know he's built like a tank it's like the quarterbacks. I want to see more of them. I just want to see more and more of the guy. And then once we see enough that he's good enough to make the roster, get him off the field because I don't want him to get hurt. Uh, you know, with the way the, the whole foot thing's been going this offseason. Good Lord, I don't want to see any more injuries. But as far as just, you know, wrapping that up, as far as receivers go, I thought Patman really did a nice job. I thought Strawn did a nice job. I, I mean, that's it's a, it's a battle of two six-round picks, man. I, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. Or do they keep both? I mean, you just never know because, um, you know, both of those guys are really talented. I, I think Strawn has probably got the, the higher upside and a more just more physically gifted player. But Patman's also played well, and he's been in the system for, for a, a year longer than, than Strawn has. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the fifth and sixth receiver spot. I know that they definitely like to keep a, the sixth guy to be a to be a special teamer, but I mean, you, you just don't want to cut talent. You really don't. So they'll figure it out. But as far as a first game man for Strawn and really Patman, because he didn't. I mean, we had no preseason last year. So I, again, I thought the lights came on. It wasn't too big for him. And I think you got to give credit to our coaching staff. I mean, because. These guys haven't played any NFL games in their first game. They go out there and they play that well. I mean, mm-hmm. Ellinger, Eason, uh, Strawn, Patman. I mean, you go down the list as far as these offensive players. Uh, for a first game, I couldn't be more impressed with all of them. So, I mean, it, it, do I think this is the greatest team since life's bread? Like I'm probably making it sound. No, but I also am very, very excited to see more of them. I think it gives – uh, Colts fans hope that hey man maybe maybe Chris Ballard knows what he's doing when he comes to to those uh, lower level as far as you know draft pick receivers go because I think Patman and Strawn look like they could really be something you know solid on this roster. No doubt. As far as the biggest con on the offense side of the ball, we don't have to spend too much time on it because it's everybody knows and there's not really much to talk about. It's the backup tackle spots and unfortunately the backup tackles are the starting tackles for the first couple of weeks until Eric Fisher's ready. So that's obviously the biggest knock, the biggest disappointment. It would be nice to have some stability there with the backups and hopefully next year Ballard goes out and drafts two or three tackles because if he drafts it like this is the frustrating thing about the backup tackle spot. I'm convinced if he went the last couple of years and took flyers on tackles that he liked in the fifth or sixth rounds, we would love the backup tackles right now. But because he keeps see, like going around with retreads for the backup tackles or taking the guys that were left over by Grigson, if it's LaRaven Clark and Green, who is a retread from Dallas, and then Davenport, who's a retread from New Orleans, and Tevi, who's a retread 
from the Chargers and Holden from the Ravens. It's like we have too many guys that there's a reason they're available. There's a reason. Go out and draft a couple of backup tackles, develop them, and we'll feel a lot better. Even if you re-sign Fisher for the next three or four years because I think he's only 32, so you can still get another contract out of him and a long one out of him. He could play till he's 35, 36 for sure. But solidify the backups with homegrown guys because if he does it, I know he's going to hit. Oh, no question. And and I, I just think with, with this draft specifically, he just didn't think there were players good enough. And I know the argument is you don't have to be that much. You don't have to be very good to be better than what we have. And exactly. that's a fair argument. Um, but I, I think you're looking at a guy like Strawn or do we go all line? You know what yeah. I mean? It's like or but Jason, see- I also think you could take it another year back. It doesn't need to just be 2021. Could have also no, been 2020. Could have also been 2019. It's like it's one position where I feel like. Like every year, it's like he goes guard later, center late. And I'm like, ah, I really kind of wish that pick was for a tackle. No, I agree 100%. I mean, we've been the one thing we've been consistently critical of Ballard on is, is this. And and we talked about it, in, you know, last year, the Cleveland game and the Pittsburgh game. I mean, that, that was that was disastrous. And you knew there was a chance AC was not going to play this this second year of his deal. And so you. I mean, you kind of have to look at it like that. Like, okay, we've got to really focus on finding a, a legitimate tackle that we can that we can grow into a starter. It, I mean, he, you know, and and he just hasn't done it. And you know, I thought maybe they would go out and maybe you know sign Veldeer. I thought who he was decent for the last two games. Um, you know, maybe to to be a backup. I'm not sure if he's with Green Bay or what's going on with him, or I think he might have failed a drug test or something. I don't know. But the guys that we have are just not good enough. I think Holden is okay at right tackle, but at left tackle, he's just not He's not quick enough. Davenport's a disaster. I think he's just Raven Clark, basically, uh, maybe even worse. And then Tevi is is really he's, – he's solid run blocker, but he's so bad in pass protection. I would rather have a guy that's just average at both. Like he's he's maybe average a little above average run blocking, but he's so bad in pass pro. I mean, it's like that thing I told you about Philip Rivers and Tevi. You know what I mean? Getting rid of the ball. Like it's it's ridiculous that this. I mean, I can't believe the Chargers actually let him protect the blind side of Justin Herbert. <laughs> I mean, that's insane to me. Now we're looking at a team that's gonna have. I mean, what are we gonna do? I mean, is that gonna be the move for Week One? You know, is that the guy that's going to start? I mean, if it is, we're going to have to put a tight end over there or a back over there the entire game yep. because because the, the Seahawks will are going to blitz, blitz, blitz. They're going to pressure, pressure, pressure. And then if you get to the game, too, it's the same deal. So the Colts, I'm sure, are figuring out a plan for the regular season, but it's scary. I hope Eric Fisher is back. Much, 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 much sooner than later because I cannot watch Sam Tevy play uh, starting. I, I can't watch him start a left tackle for us for very long before I'm going to need alcohol to get through the game because he's bad. <laughs> I mean, he's he's LaRaven yeah. Clark pass blocking bad. Chaz Green bad. Yeah, what's the guy for? I don't even remember the last team he played for who like is obsessed with Bitcoin on Twitter. Oka. Um, Oka. Who? I don't know. It's like. It's like Okafora or something like that. He's like he wants teams to pay him in Bitcoin. I forgot who he played. I have no idea. Is, Ro- he, a, is he a is he a left tackle? Yeah, a co- it's like Okafor. 
it's I don't think it's Oko like it's not like Jaleel Okafor, the basketball player. Maybe Roberts his name. Oh, 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 you mean oh oh you mean Russell Oku? Yes, yes, Oku. The, yeah. Why, why haven't we looked at him? Is that what you're gonna ask? Yeah, yeah. So do you know right? why? I have no idea. Because he's like I a vet guy. He's available. I would have signed him before preseason. I would yep. have signed him before training camp. That I don't. That is a. That is a. I was gonna bring that up. It's so funny that you brought him up. I was thinking about that as we were talking about this. That is one guy that I think could get us to. You know, he could back up both tackle spots. He's got a ton of experience. He's, I mean, he was at his best. He was an all pro. I mean, he's obviously not that guy, but he's certainly better than a better option than Sam Tevy. I don't know if he's injured, if he wants a ton of money. I'm sure there's some reason, um, but I don't know what that reason is. Yeah. I have no idea, but that's a great name and a great, uh, uh, that's a great question. I, I would love to ask Mallard that question. Like, okay. We have Will Holden, Sam Tevy, and Julian Davenport, and Russell Okung sitting out there, and he's like, what, what, why why didn't you go after him? Yep. That's a great question. Yeah, well, hopefully they do something because, like you said. Also, Jason, somebody texted me this or DM me or whatever, Twitter, whatever. Somebody DM me, where would we be right now at the tackle position if Ballard didn't back into a guard in the second round to turn into a right tackle. And I want to give Ballard a little bit more credit than like backing into Braden Smith. But I do think the point is a good point. Ballard drafts a guard that turns into a starting right tackle. So even Braden Smith was technically not Ballard going tackle in the draft. Could you imagine if Braden Smith came out of Ole Miss, stayed at guard, and we still don't address tackle like we don't address tackle, and we had both those holes right now. So Ballard actually got like a little lucky there in a sense because I'm pretty is the only tackle he ever drafted the kid out of USC banner who was overweight and got cut as a rookie. You know, I think it is. I mean, prize played right tackle and he, he's a, he can play tackle. He played tackle a lot at Penn state. So I would, I would argue fries, but that's a late round pick and he's not a left tackle. So I you could say fries, but other than him, no, I think Banner's the only guy. I'm trying. I'm, I'm going through my head right now. And Banner was the first draft, right? Right. <laughs> and he, yeah. I mean, that's a great. That's a great point. I mean, really, the he he's 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 really good at drafting um, interior linemen. But he's really. I mean, he really hasn't pulled a trigger on any tackles, really, no. outside of Banner. Maybe he's gun shy because of Banner. I I don't know. I don't think so. But I mean, it's an arguable point because he hasn't pulled the trigger on a, um, I mean, a legitimate tackle only player. I mean, because Fries is more of a utility guy. Yeah, and he, he, he wasn't even wrong tackle. about Banner. Banner just wasn't ready right away. He technically right. wasn't wrong about Banner because Banner's not only in the league, but I think he's been a starter in the past for the Steelers. Yeah, he's a starting right tackle, I think. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, he just, I mean, I think. I think Banner just was immature and came in overweight, and Ballard was trying to send a message like, if you're going to play for this organization, you're going to be professional. And I think he just didn't want to play games, and he just cut him. But yeah. and, and that, and looking back, that might not have been a smart move because, you know, Banner's turned out to be a serviceable player and definitely better than what we have yep. at backup tackle for sure. So yeah, there's, there's certainly an argument to may, be made that the one position that that Ballard has really struggled is is tackle, and he hasn't really. Addressed. Really, it. I mean, outside, I mean, yeah, he, he hasn't, hasn't really invested picks in it, and he yeah. had, and really, and aside from signing retreads, 
he really hasn't attacked the position at all. No. Other than, I mean, you can say Fisher, but that was almost like we had no choice. Yeah. We were down to, it was, it was either Fisher or Leno, and Leno got signed, so we had to sign him. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's kind of a spot I mean, that he hasn't really he hasn't been super proactive with. No, and you would think I mean that would be to me left tackle is outside of quarterback probably the most important position on all on the offensive side of the ball, especially I mean, our team because we put such an emphasis on the offensive line. Like that's been right. the anchor of this team since Ballard's been here has been the offensive line. And obviously the way his philosophy defensively, how much he's put into the defensive line, he obviously believes in line play. It's been the strength of this team. Now the defense is anchored by the defensive line. So he's always been an inside-out guy. And the starters have been solidified since he got here pretty much on the offensive line, at least by year two, I would say, with the 2018 draft class. It's been the same line since 2018 with the starters. Now Costanzo retires, so you have to be proactive to find at least a stopgap replacement for him like you do with Fisher. But, yeah, it seems like he's almost been content and hesitant to even address the backup tackle. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit weird, especially for a guy like Ballard who – he has backup, backup quarterback competition. He has kicker competition. He has competition all over the place, but he's just like, oh, tackle the second most important spot on the offense who protects the most important spots blindside? Eh, if the starter goes down, we'll make do. So, yeah, that is very odd, and I didn't want this to be as long as it already is, and we only have done one side of the football. So let's go real quick <laughs> defense just anything you saw defense, Ben Banigou, anything you want to touch on quick on defense, and we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were okay. Definitely some busted plays yeah, and a long run they plays. gave up. They missed some tackles. You know, they, they busted a coverage. But they were all right. I mean, I saw – I thought Andrew Brown, the guy we picked up from the Texans, played really well at, 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 uh, at tackle, defensive tackle. You know, I thought I thought the pass rush was okay. Um, Tere got in there some, got some pressures. Vanigo had a pressure, I think, and did pretty a pretty solid job uh, forcing the run back inside. Um, but I want to see more out of Vanigo, man. I, I like, I know, you know, he he's 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 taking some time to develop, and he. But I just want to see more explosiveness out of him. He he had some good rushes. And I, I like the kid. I like his attitude and everything. I just I want to see a little bit more out of him. Um, you know, I thought the secondary was was all right. I, I thought Kafusi had a really nice play on that on that fourth down to get the ball back to the offense. But we're you know we're pretty bland defense in the preseason. I we I didn't really see anything, which kind of frustrates me as a as a fan in the sense that we shouldn't be having we shouldn't be having busted you know coverages playing vanilla defense. Um, because we're not showing anything but I mean it's the first game they didn't play poorly they just didn't play great yeah Flus also wasn't there with COVID so right Flus wasn't there Williams was calling the defense Um, so yeah it was I think it was kind of um, one of those things where a lot of variables kind of came together and and you know made it a little bit more tougher than it would normally be on a game day so but yeah, I saw you know I saw some good things. Uh, you know the I, I like the backup defensive tackles. I thought the 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 backup defensive ends really you know pressured the quarterback. Thought the linebackers were solid. I thought the secondary was solid, other than a couple of uh, busted plays. 
Um, I'm trying to think. Marvell uh, got yeah, injured. He yeah, he made a big play. Um, so I mean, it, it, you kind of take it with injured, a grain yeah. of salt. Yeah, and then and then yeah, and so you you take it with a grain of salt. I, I think when they get Flus back, hopefully, uh, I think Saturday they play in Minnesota. Uh, hopefully they'll get Flus back for that game, and there'll be a little bit more uh, norm normalcy to it. But um, as a whole, man, I didn't think it was great, but I didn't think it was the worst that I've seen. I mean, we sat through a lot of Pagano uh, preseasons. Uh, I've seen worse, uh, yeah. but they definitely need to get better, and I'm sure they will. A lot, a lot of stuff to clean up, uh, both offensively with penalties and defensively. But I think you're going to see them continue to to get better. And remember, we didn't have, I mean, really any starters out there outside of Carey Blackman for like ten plays. So you know, I I, I take it with a grain. Okariki out there for a few plays. Did Okariki play for a few plays? I can't remember. I was. Thinking about Okariki, I'm not sure. Another guy I want to talk quick about is Zaire Franklin, but yeah, I don't think um, I don't think Okariki was out there, but he might have been. If he was out there, it was very quick. Like I remember Blackman being out there, but I don't really remember him doing anything because it was such a brief period, and that's why right. it's harder to even talk about the defense. One because we were looking for less in this game. Like to watch a preseason game. I honestly need to go into it looking for specific things. So offense, it was easy because I knew I was going to go in watching both quarterbacks. I knew I was going to watch the tackles, unfortunately. I knew I was going to look for Strawn. I knew I was going to look for Patman. And then defensively, I knew I was going to look for Banigou. But there was really less to look for defensively. And then without EJ Speed playing in this game, who I was excited to watch, it was a little bit you almost fall asleep sometimes watching these preseason games. So defensively, I was definitely I was kind of out of it watching the defense in this game and the offense. It's like the quarterback battle is very important. If Wentz is not able to go watching this defense without Buckner, without Grover, without Kenny, without Darius, it's a, it's, just, it's not even the defense. You know what I mean? So that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the biggest thing. It, that's not the D. I mean, honestly, all the stuff I said, the biggest point is that's not even the defense. It's it, those guys are going to be depth, most, mostly depth players outside of Zaire and probably TJ. Most of those guys are going to be backups. So that's the biggest thing I would probably take. Like you mentioned, all those studs you mentioned, they weren't even out there. So that's probably the biggest takeaway, honestly, yeah. that, that, that uh, none of those guys played and we still were okay. I mean, yeah. we weren't great, but we, we were fine. I mean, we gave up, I think, 15 points. That's not bad. So, you know, you, you get better, you clean up the tackling, you, you know, you, you know, stickier on coverage and, you know, play better and not have the mental breakdowns and, you know, you move on. There's a lot of stuff to, uh, to obviously correct, but I think when you put the starters in there, you're going to see a much different defense, yeah. obviously. Yeah, because it's not like the offense was the starting offense. Obviously, the entire offensive line were backups, but you had Mack in there, you even had Wilkins, you know, get a bulk of the carries in the first half and he's been on this roster for a few years now we expect big things out of strong patman fighting to make this roster one of these quarterbacks could possibly start week one even though we don't anticipate that happening at this point because now it looks like Wentz is starting to trend in a more positive direction the tackle spot one of these tackles is unfortunately gonna have to start the first couple weeks if we don't make a move so there seems to be more at least week one of the preseason where you're going to have an influence in the starting week one offense opposed to what we watched in this game defensively. And 
as far as these backups go, to give them credit, they had a couple short fields because the offense turned the ball over on downs. There was the pick and there was the fumble, and the fumble was a very short field. And I think that led to the only touchdown, right? And the fumble was like a 20-yard field. So if you take that away, they held the Panthers out of the end zone, and that is the ultimate goal of a Flus defense. Even when Buckner and Leonard and Moore and all those guys are out there, there's times where we'll give up 80. Think about both Texans games last year. We'll let you drive the length of the field, but you're going to have to get in the end zone. And if you don't get in the end zone, that's how we you beat you. Gonna... You can't beat us with threes, and you can't beat us with, obviously, if we force turnovers. So, you know, we'll make you make mistakes. So you could also say that the defense kind of did their job in a sense where they gave up a 60-yard play and it resulted in three points. Or they gave up a 40-yard play, and they held them to three points. So I'll give the defense a little bit of credit there as well. Yeah, I mean, overall, for a first game, I thought really, and mostly, obviously, backups playing, I thought you really couldn't ask for much more as a whole. Obviously, again, there's penalties and stuff that you got to clean up. But a lot of these guys, this is their first game action in front of a real live crowd, and for, you know, which, like which, you mentioned to begin yeah, the which show. Which is very loud. I mean, unbelievable. The crowd was, I mean, it was for a preseason game. That is insane. I, I can only hope and pray that that's how loud they are all season because I was shocked at how loud they were for a preseason game. It was, it was, I, I was really, I was taken back. Rick, Ricky, Ricky really, really got to him, man. I mean, he really pumped the crowd up. He, he's got him <laughs> believing preseason games count. So uh, the crowd was really into it. Rick was into it. Um, the amount and, of times Rick said, like when a flag was thrown, wait, wait, this could be huge. If this is on them, this could be huge. Good, good. Or when he was encouraging Reich to throw the challenge flag, you got to challenge this. Down 18-16. I mean, you you got to go for two here. You got to go for two. Okay, Rick, calm down. It's a preseason game. I mean, if there's one thing I know about Rick, and and, and it's, I mean, we, we both know this and find it hysterical. He absolutely loves the preseason, and he loves to win preseason games. I mean, he really does enjoy winning preseason games. And so I'm sure Rick went home very, very happy because the Colts came back and won. Yeah, and the crowd was happy. The crowd was into it. It was actually really funny how into it the crowd was. So that's pretty much all I got, Jason. I thought it was an entertaining preseason game for a preseason game. I also can't imagine that there was a point in time where there were six preseason games, two 14 regular season games. Thank God those days are behind us and well before my lifetime because I could not imagine sitting through six of these. Three is going to (laughs) be what it is, but six preseason games is way too many. So we cut it down by one this year, three preseason games, one additional regular season game, 17 games in the regular season. That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. We will be back on Thursday with the game preview. When's the game this week? Saturday? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so we'll still do do Thursday. We'll try to get it up Thursday night. And then game two of the preseason with Sam Ellinger starting at quarterback will be on Saturday right here on the For the Culture Podcast. Today's episode of the For the Culture Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Canadips CBD. They are the nation's leader in tobacco and nicotine-free dip. It's the alternative with cannabis 
instead of nicotine and tobacco. It's a fast-acting and innovative way to consume CBD that works and tastes great. Plus, you won't have to play sneak at you with your wife during football season, which is right around the corner. And thanks to our friends at Canadip CBD, they present the game of the year. That's right, the game of the year. One winner will be chosen on August 31st. Entry is easy. You just head to Canadip's cbd.com that's c-a-n-n-a-d-i-p-s cbd.com and click the link or visit candidate's main instagram page and look for the blue check mark one winner will be chosen and can bring a plus one to any colts game this regular season that's right they are picking one winner on august 31st to bring a plus one to a colts game of your choosing this regular season, but wait, there's more. Airfare for two with luxury hotel and lodging will be included with great seats for the game. Guys, I don't know why you wouldn't head to CanadipsCBD.com. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out on Twitter. Canadips, that's C-A-N-N-A-D-I-P-S, CBD.com. It's like dip. You put a little bit behind your lip. No nicotine, no tobacco, no reason to not go check these guys out and enter to win a free ticket to any Colts regular season game of your choosing. You get to bring a friend, you could bring a girl, you could bring your buddy, you could bring whoever you want. The lodging, the airfare, it's luxurious, it's free. Go to CanadipsCBD.com. We thank our friends at Canadips CBD for sponsoring this episode of the For the Culture Podcast.